for tuning in, church. It is uh, so good that each and every one of you can be with us. And, uh, you know, we've been working through a series, and we're just putting that series on hold this week. And uh, we're going to pick that up in a couple of weeks' time, that series being called Help for Today and Hope for Tomorrow. And I'm looking forward to getting back into that word. But uh, today, I want to encourage you to settle in, open your Bibles, and engage your brain. Because I want to work through some things really quickly to get to what I believe Jesus is revealing through his word. So what do you reckon, church? I think the Holy Spirit wants to do something in your life today. Why? Because today is the day that we call Pentecost Sunday. My hope is that we dig in together, that you will open your heart, open your minds, and your entire life to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day and I thank you for the opportunity to bring your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that it would center in on the truths of what Jesus has made available. I ask that you would speak to our hearts and give us sharp minds in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. My title for today's service is, uh, It All Hinges on Love. But as I introduce this, did you know that questions are an important aspect of life? We were all small once, weren't we? We were all full of questions, that is, until we became teenagers and then we knew everything. Or many of us, if you think about it, have either got or have had or have been able to see small children. Do you recall their inquisitive minds? How they ask you all the questions under the sun, driving you mad and unable to find an escape? Where you are unable to find that place of peace. If for all the mothers out there, you can't even find peace and quiet in the bathroom. The infamous question, but why? It's time to go to bed, Johnny, but why? The dreaded nightmare of parenthood begins. So I read this article around questions during the week and it was titled Six Underlying Benefits of Asking Questions. Let me give you these six really quickly. Number one, we learn about life through asking questions. Number two, the more we question, the better answers we get. Number three, the quality of our lives depends on the questions we ask. Number four, questionings Oh, sorry, questioning makes you open. Number five, questioning makes you wiser. And the last one, asking the right questions can create happiness. I added that little right section there just for your info. I find in today's world that many people have not become familiar with asking the right or good questions. It may be a byproduct of having all the answers at our fingertips. Hey, Google. Do you know what I mean? Like Google answers the questions that we ask, which causes us to ask dumb questions. Raise your hand if you're with me on that one. Who's heard a dumb question this week? Yeah, I think so as well. Asking questions, though, for the sake of asking questions is an annoying as the but why that you get from your toddler. 
This highlights one fact, that there are questions we should never ask and there are also questions that we never ask that we should. Navigating good questions can be quite hard or difficult for some. Interestingly, the Bible asks many questions. It asks questions of us, it asks questions of God, it asks questions of Jesus. It puts us in the framework and really helps us to ask the right questions. On the day of Pentecost, after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, we see a group of people who ask the most important question a person can ask. At the time, this question was very common, asked by both Jew and Gentile alike. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. I should read this to you. It says, Now when they heard this, this is the sermon by Peter, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? To sum up the context of this question, Peter has just preached the gospel. They were cut to the heart and their actual question is in line with this, what must we do to be saved? Now, while my focus won't be on this question today, I want you, if you're thinking about what I must do to be saved, then at the end of the service, there'll be a little thing pop up there on the chat or you can drop something into the chat if you're watching on Facebook and you can click on the raise my hand and that'll take you into the church website where you can watch Pastor Jamie give a little video about what you've just done and let me say, if you fill in that form, one of our pastors will contact you during the week to answer that particular question. What must I do to be saved? And I assure you that you will be contacted. Interestingly, this question gives us a picture at the times of the times because people were desperate to find some sense of hope in the dark world. And the hope of the gospel is what shed the light into this darkness. So this Pentecost Sunday, I believe there are other questions that you and I are asking. They're currently and constantly upon our mind. And for many, these questions are after the salvation question. For example, how am I to live the God-filled life? How am I to fulfill the calling that God has for me? How am I to navigate the passions that God has placed into my heart and serve Jesus with honour and integrity. Our passages for this morning are found in 1 Corinthians, and in particular three chapters, chapters 12, chapters 13, and chapter 14. Now I want to put you into a bit of cultural and historical context before we get right into the centre of our word. This question of how I can be saved, asked by the people on Pentecost, is a question in first century AD that was commonly asked within the Gentile world. As the, the world stood, influenced by the Lord of this earth, and we all know who that is, it wasn't Jesus at this time. It was Satan and his cohorts. The answers were always tainted because the light of the gospel was absent. In this time, first century AD, as it is today, many religions and cults were present because this question was being asked. 
It is a deep longing of your soul. And I believe that is a questions are there because of the void that is left as your spirits were cut off from God because of sin. Mystic or mystery religions and cults were in fact the order of the day and especially in this city called Corinth. Dionysian worship and the worship of Apollo appear to be present at this time. It is in the middle of that that the Apostle Paul brings the light of the gospel and plants the hope of the world, a church that declares who Jesus Christ is. Because of the times and place, many questions arose from the people who were saved because they were judging what was happening in the church with what was happening around them in their city and culture. So 1 Corinthians is a letter written to answer these questions that arose due to people being saved who were coming out of the world and into the church. For example, chapter 7 is a great place to pick up where Paul answers these questions, for example, questions around marriage, uh, sexual gratification in marriage. And that as you move through the chapter and into other chapters, you see uh, questions around food being offered to idols because that was commonplace in Corinth. You couldn't buy meat in the marketplace that hadn't been offered to idols. Another question that was arising was women within worship setting. And that came up not because women were second rate or anything like that. It's just because there was a massive power struggle in the city of Corinth. And most of their worship in their cults and ritualistic ideals often led to both leadership of women or gratification of the sensual desires by women. And then on today's focus, which is this, spiritual people and in particular spiritual gifts. Or if you want to put it into the Greek, the word is the charismata. Because of this basic human question around how one might be saved, we see the church in Corinth not much unlike our very own church that was surrounded by all kinds of, in the world, idolatry, sorcery, and pagan ritual. This uh, inherent hole that is in every person's heart, searching for the answers of what must I do to be saved, leads people down a path of worshipping false gods. Our Western mindset over the years has benefited from the gains of Christianity throughout history. And we have become numb to the presence of much of the influences around us because godly order has been instilled. Yet the reality is, in our post-Christian world, there is a huge push from darkness, which is becoming mainline even in our world today. The church is being pushed back. A new age is rising. Christian worship is being pushed to the background. And the worship of idol idols and those sorts of things are coming to the fore. You might think, oh, pastor, that's not happening. Well, just quickly, it's happening just with worship of celebrities, the worship of self, the worship of sport, and all of those things. Well, is the church of Jesus Christ must become more aware of how God intends to combat this. And the answers can be found by looking at first century Corinth and many other places that the Bible 
refers to and how the early church moved in this time. So it brings us around to this place of what is today's question asked of Paul by the Corinthian church. How do we know what spiritual gifts are from God in a world of corruption? When we look at the Corinthian church, it quickly comes to light that there are no real structure or godly order. New believers influenced by previous experiences, in particular occultist practices or worship of other entities, were now involved in the worship of Jesus Christ. I don't believe it was mad chaos as much as it can sound like it, but things were beginning to get out of hand and these people, they write to their apostle for guidance. And you know, good questions will get good answers. The questions being asked were around corporate worship and the use of spiritual gifts. Let me be clear. The things that they were seeing are all found in Scripture and were all forms of godly worship and the charismata. They were also things that could be, get this word, counterfeit. So what is counterfeit? Well, counterfeit, if you were to sum it all up, is this made in imitation so as to be passed off fraudulently or deceptively as a genuine. You could counterfeit a bill, for example, like a $100 bill, and you could make it look perfect, but to the trained eye, a counterfeit is, a counterfeit is spotted all the time. So a counterfeit um, is a copy, a deception, something that is false. The mystic religions or the, the cults of the day were a closed society and often cost a lot of money to be initiated into. The ultimate goal of these secret sects, sects were to become one with their deity. An equivalent to today could be seen just by looking at the many forms of what we call the lodge. This is why they are often referred to as mystery religions. These cults were dominated by the senses, meaning they were sensual in nature. They were stepped in euphoria, sex sensual experience, including sexual experience, all the way through to orgies and drug abuse. They were chanting, dancing, trancing to the drum beat and the cymbals, for example. So a question for you. Because good questions get good answers. Does the knowledge of these things being a part of antichrist behaviour make things like dancing and drum beats evil or illegal? So in other words, if you're a drummer and you love the beating of a drum, does it make it evil that that was used in an antichrist behaviour? Now this sounds ludicrous, doesn't it? Obviously, that is not the truth. In fact, let me give you a list of things that were counterfeit or are forms that are seen in the mystery religions at the time of the birth of the church. I'm going to write these on the board for you. And uh, I do this because I want, to, I want to show you something. This is what was in the mystery religions at the time of Jesus and the birth of the church. The first one, rebirth. Does that sound familiar? 
The second, immortality or its pursuit. I can't even spell it. Immortality. Another one, baptism. Another one, dedication. Am I painting a picture for you just yet? Another one, sacramental meals. Sacramental meals are things like Holy Communion. Here's another one, worship. We just know that that was counterfeit. It was worship of Satan or worship of other entities, not of Jesus. And here's a really big one that I think is a problem for people in today's world, and that is tongues. Did you know that tongues was operational in the counterfeit religions? Okay, so the counterfeit is designed to mimic the moral code of God, yet it is completely corrupt in all its expressions. The issue with the counterfeit is that they are all performed in a heightened state of euphoria and sensual pleasure. You've got to remember those words. This is why I said engaging your brains today. It is in the middle of this historic context that the Corinthian church write to their apostle for answers. Obviously, their leaders were not able to answer these questions. Some of the experiences could have been of a sensual nature, and therefore it brought questions from the congregation. What is worthy of note for us today is that it was not automatically shut down, but referred to spiritual leadership for guidance. That's an interesting little thing to remember. So we're in this place of states of euphoria. I want to touch on this a little bit. Influenced by the senses, under trance to music, and lost to idolatry and worship of, of idols, people in the mystery religions were even speaking in unknown tongues. We know this because glossolalia is not a term that was invented by the church. It is a Greek word that describes both this experience and the New Testament writers borrow this term to explain the charismata or the charismatic gift of, the sp of speaking in other tongues. You know you can actually see it in other religions today. There's a, there's a religious sect over in India that, that gets this heightened sense of euphoria and sensual pleasure to the point where they start talking in unknown tongues. Counterfeits were rife and Paul is called upon to bring godly counsel godly correction and godly wisdom into their worship settings. I think this is amazing when you read the book of Corinthians in its full entire context. So to answer this specific question, Paul writes three full chapters, and this is what I kind of want to touch on today. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 to 3, says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers... I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand 
that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So Paul begins this chapter by writing, now concerning spiritual. Interestingly, the word gifts is added in your Bible today. This word that is there in the original text can be translated two ways. It can be translated spiritual people. So now it could be concerning spiritual people or it could mean referring to concerning spiritual gifts. Gifts make sense because the, in to, most of this chapter is referring to spiritual gifts. But the same works for spiritual people. Now concerning spiritual people, now concerning spiritual gifts, he says, I do not want you to be uninformed. I like the King James Version in this one, actually. It says, I do not want you to be ignorant. Isn't that a good word? We live in a time where many people have formed a fear of the supernatural because they fear the counterfeit. The truth of Paul's message to the Corinthian church has been twisted to shut down the supernatural when this was never Paul's intention. It was to educate them in how to operate in the godly use of the spiritual gifts. Therefore, how to operate in the supernatural. In shutting down the charismata, my belief is that the gospel loses its authenticity to cut through the darkness and bring transformation into the world, transforming the person to become little lights of Christ. The authentic message of the gospel includes the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, not the eradicating of everything needed to live as children of God. You need the charismata to be able to overcome. They are grace gifts. That's what charismata actually means. They are grace gifts, grace-given gifts of God. Paul wants us not to be ignorant. He doesn't want us to be uninformed. Yet today, amazing people in the church are closed off to the Holy Spirit because of a lack of understanding, fear, manipulation and control. This way, you can keep order in a church and the leaders can appear powerful. It's an insidious thought. And 1 Corinthians has been twisted to bring control and bring strongholds to your minds and the minds of well-meaning people. And I want to say today that the Holy Spirit is wanting you to be free so that you can be all you can be in Him. Holy Spirit wants to broaden your worship in the personal sense and in the corporate sense. He wants to empower you to outreach, not by guilting you to evangelize, but naturally from the overflow of your worship and devotion to Papa God. He wants you free so that you can be a conduit of the supernatural, releasing his love to those around you. And the enemy, it's the enemy that wants to bring control into this area. But I hear a question that comes from this. What if it's not God? I think I've heard that question Many, many times. What if it's just me? 
Or worse, what if it's a demon? Great questions, which need to be put to rest once and for all time. God, the Bible says, will not give you a spirit of fear. He will not give you a stone when you ask him for bread. How much more, the Bible says, will he give us of the Holy Spirit when we ask? While we ask this great question, many of us are actually closed off or ignorant to the answers. So this church, 1 Corinthians, is written to, has tongues, has prophecy, has dancing, has worship. I'll put a couple of these up for us. Is that all right? It has the gifts of tongues. It has worship. It has prophecy. Big words, aren't they? Dancing. Oh, you can't dance in church. Wrong. Singing. Communion. Etc. 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 Right? You've got the gist. You know, it's got prophecy and and uh, and probably amongst all of these good things, it probably had some bad influence as well. I mean, it wouldn't be church if some bad influences didn't come in. Yet, by asking this question and not listening for the answer, it means you're not trusting this very fact that isn't God bigger than any of your fears? Is he not able to bring wisdom into your life through the reading of the word of God? Is he not able to bring wisdom through the Holy Spirit who reveals the word of God? Is he not able to bring wisdom into your life through the leadership that he's put in responsibility of under shepherds and shepherding your life? And when these leaders in this church couldn't do it, they had a letter written to ask an apostle who had more experience. The challenge for us in our thinking if we think that God is not able to deal with all of this stuff and bring godly wisdom and instruction into your life through his word or his leaders, then I feel that we have too small a vision of God and too large a vision of the enemy. I mean, reality is, whose church is it really? It sounds like the first Corinthians who are looking at their world and they're looking at all of the sensual experiences that are happening in their world and then coming to this place of church and seeing similar things in effect. But whose church is it? It belongs to Jesus. Paul was able, through his writings, to bring a structure that supported the gifts of the Holy Spirit, not shut them down. To quench the Spirit, I believe, is sin. To support it so there are boundaries for people to experience the fullness of his grace brings order. Paul actually answers this question in verse 3 of chapter 12. He says this, and I love his words, Therefore I want you to understand, in other words, don't be ignorant, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. 
And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. Isn't that a fantastic answer to what if it's not God? What if it's not the Holy Spirit? What if it's a demon? I can tell you there is no demon in this earth that is going to declare that Jesus is Lord. Paul then begins to outline nine spiritual gifts of the Spirit. We cannot pick the ones that we like and despise the others. Do you know that? If we do, then frankly, we have a mindset, or in other words, a closed mind unto God. A mindset that is not open to the fullness of Jesus in our life through his gifts or his charismata, the Holy Spirit gifts. Reality is, these are gifts from God. In the second half of chapter 12, Paul discusses the body and how each member is important and that the gifts in each member are to be valued. I would encourage you to read that today. Read 1 Corinthians 12 today. To be a healthy, functioning, Christ-filled and charismatic body, the gifts must be in operation. When we don't value an individual member, we as a body miss out on something that they have to offer. It's the same with each of the gifts. When we don't value all of the gifts, we will not see them function and will limit the power of the gospel. I said that right. The gospel is the power of God under salvation, yes. But it will limit your influence to be able to use the gospel to bring salvation to our community. If a member is not valued, worship is limited. If a gift is not valued, outreach is limited to humanistic strategy. Also, any set mind against the charismata can be used by the enemy to render a member of the body ineffective and isolate them to the point of terror. And this is a really important point, friends. This is why the Corinthian church wanted to hear Paul's answers. So let's pick on one of these. Let's, let's single out the gift of tongues for today. Why the gift of tongues? Well, at Pentecost, the 120 in the upper room, it says, all spoke in unknown tongues. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7 says this. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You heard that right. God gives the manifestation of the Holy Spirit gifts, all of them, for the common good of every person. In the context of the pagan world, tongues was actually one of the, um, one of the things that was coveted above all of them. And the reason was because when they got into this state of trance, in this state of losing control and holding themselves over to sensual lusts, often it was... In the, it was in the, after the chanting, after the drums, or could have been from gratifying a sexual need with a prostitute, for example. 
what happened was, is they opened the door for the demonic influence and it was the demonic influence that caused them to speak the way that they were speaking. They could not control speaking in other language. The same as if uh, a demonic uh, person that was influenced by a demon was manifesting, for example. So the Corinthian church had this mindset that tongues was held up a little bit higher than all of them because of this, this, this worldview. Corporately, Paul does not degrade the gift of tongues like many think. But he gives equal standing and then speaks about the corporate use and the personal use of the gift. While he might list it last, it's not a list of the, the best to the worst. It is a list of equal uh, standing. But he brings correction because he's trying to lead the church out of sensual behavior. He brings a limit to two or at the most three words in tongues with an interpretation. That's what he gives. He puts in this structure, this order. It wasn't to stop the gift of tongues. It was to allow it to be in an orderly way so that everybody and every gift was valued. And there are two lies that sneak in here. And, and uh, you know, there's people in the room that probably know this more than I do, but uh, num- the first lie is really this sense of cessationism, that the charismata died out or the gifts of the Holy Spirit died out uh, with the apostles and the conclusion of the Word of God or the canonizing of the Word of God because we have within the Word of God the full revelation of God. Now, while that is correct, we have the full... I don't think that God would pour out his spirit at Pentecost and see mighty things done in his name through the book of Acts only to stop the spread of the church by removing the very power that caused the gospel its influence. The second is this. You believe that tongues has no value. Isn't that a lie? That tongues has no value and that prophecy is better. Well, while that is actually stated, it's not stating that it has no value. And if you believe that tongues has no value, this is a stronghold that the enemy will fortify in your life and your thinking and you won't have breakthrough in the area of intimacy with God that you're needing. The comparison trap gets us caught up all the time. Paul's context is this, 1 Corinthians 14, verses 26 to 32. He says, What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all these, let all these be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is uh, no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Now, I just want to pick up a little point there. It doesn't say stop speaking in tongues. It says keep silent. In other words, I think the actual word really is actually saying to keep quieter. Why? Because he says, and speak to himself and to God. Like you cannot pray in tongues in your head. 
To pray in tongues is to use your tongue. It is your vocal cords. It is your operation of the gift. So he's not saying to keep silent, full stop. He's saying, keep it between you and God. Then he says in verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. In verse 32, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. There is not a comparison but the outworkings of wisdom at play in Paul's answers. Fact, Paul encourages both tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. And again, let me encourage you, read 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and see what he says for yourself. The reality we see is that if I come to you, this is the practical reality of it, if I come to you, or to an unbeliever, and I speak to you in tongues, you would rightly call me mad. Yet, if I do that and bring the interpretation of that word, and that word enlightens your heart, I can tell you you will surrender to God. Yes, prophecy circumvents all of the other gifts, or these gift, this gift in particular, but in their day, tongues were seen as powerful. That prophecy should be desired over tongues does not diminish the power that is at work in this gift. Why? Because it is still a gift by the most powerful being that there is, the Holy Spirit of God. Therefore, in bringing order to a worship service, Paul never stopped the use of the gifts. He limited them for practical reasons. Church, we should be pursuing the gifts and seeing these mighty works by the Spirit in our lives, not stuck in this rut of questioning God, questioning God, questioning God. Oh, that we would all see these amazing gifts. And more and more as the Holy Spirit brings us understanding. I want to draw you something really quickly as the Lord gives me um, understanding of this. I, I like to draw this in a way that we can understand it because I think to give you the uh, opportunity to see it is really important. Firstly, if we just draw this line, this, um, what's that called? It's a, it's a line, that'll do. Spectrum, that'll do, thank you. X-axis. X-axis, that's a big one, thank you. My helper's in the background. If I, at this end, have no gifts, I write gifts because it's quicker, or no charismata at this end, and at this end, I talked to you about counterfeit, didn't I? At this end, if I have the counterfeit, that's the wrong way around. If I have counterfeit and no gifts, this is the two ends of the spectrum I'm talking to people who are not seeking gifts because you're closed off in mind, or I'm talking to people who are sensual by nature. Let me write these up for you. 
If there is no charismata, there is restriction. Of the kingdom. Right? If there's no karamata, there is limited, if at all, no power or authority. No power, limited authority. We'll do it that way. Is that okay? Limited authority. You still have authority in the name of Jesus, but you don't know how to wield your authority, therefore it's limited. On the other end, those people like the church in Corinth, who have been influenced by the, the paganisms around them, that they're influenced by the sensual desires. Now, I've seen Christians who are influenced by sensual desires. You have to not be influenced by sensuality. There's, um, and how do you know that? There's a, good, there's a good marker. All about me. If your worship is about what you can get from Jesus, then you are worshipping him from a sensual place. You are worshipping him with a counterfeit worship. And then there's this sense of euphoric or ecstatic, okay? It's, it's, it's linked deeply euphoric. That'll do. Bad writing, but you know what I'm saying. So one end we've got gifts or no gifts, not in operation at all. In the other end, we've got the counterfeit. And Paul addresses these in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Okay? So that's where we're at at the moment. Two ends of the spectrum. I normally would do it this way. On the one side, we've got counterfeit. On the other side, we've got no gifts at all. Somewhere in the middle is what we should be focusing on. Somewhere in the middle is what we should be focusing on. Can I get an Amen. God instant, uh, sorry, God installs godly leadership into the body who are able to make a quick assessment of is it the counterfeit based upon the sensuality that is coming from it? Because God gives a measure. This can be said also about expressions of worship and uh, the assessing of worship songs and all of that sort of stuff. If they're over the top and sensual, then they are probably counterfeit or should be sung on an individual level between you and God. The same leadership is charged with fanning the flame of the Holy Spirit. Did you know this? In 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul writes to Timothy and says, Fan into flame the gift of God that was within you, from the laying on of hands came upon you, which is to see the gifts of God or the charismata in operation. It is the role of leadership to bring this out. So when there is no charismata, when we're at this end, right here, when there is no charismata, the leaders should teach, preach, worship, operate, and impart the gifts until the whole body gets it. Is that right? I think it's right. Why, you might ask. What a great question. Firstly, the world needs an encounter with Jesus. And the Jesus Christ that was empowered by the Holy Spirit, that revealed God the Father, who died upon the cross, who rose again on the third day, they need a real encounter with him. And the charismata of the Holy Spirit is the same. It's the charismata that brings the encounter. We shouldn't be offering a watered-down gospel because a watered-down gospel is exactly that. 
It is counterfeit. You can't preach a half-truth. This is what chapter 12 really teaches us. Chapter 14, verse 32 of 1 Corinthians says, or teaches us that the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophet. This means that if you won't prophesy due to a set mind, you never will. I'll use Paul's words again. Do not be ignorant. The spirit or the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophet. Which tells me tongues in paganism was not from God because the person had lost control. But tongues in the church can come under godly order and leadership. Why? Because the spirit of the prophets or the spirit of the tongue speaker is subject to the tongue speaker. Do not be ignorant. Joel's prophecy, Joel chapter 2, it was the, the very prophecy that the Apostle Peter used on the day of Pentecost. Powerfully declares that God's sons and daughter, daughters will prophesy. Over the past month, we've established that you and I are both sons of God. We are to prophesy under the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that empowers you with the gift of tongues with the gift of interpretation, the same spirit that gives the gift of wisdom and faith and words of knowledge, gifts of healings, miracles, discerning of spirits. I'd love to write them up there for you. I'll just write this, nine gifts. There are nine gifts that are given, outlined by Paul in this passage. And they come from the same Holy Spirit. Therefore, every one of these nine, by implication, are subject to whether you believe and operate under the power of the Holy Spirit or if you don't. And that when operating in them, you have the power to start them or stop them under the leading of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that you can perform miracles on your own. The miracle performer is the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. But you're the conduit and you're the prophet that is able to stop the use of it. You can stop the use of it with just a mindset against it. Unlike the pagans who are in a euphoric stance or trance, often drug-induced and counterfeit. By the Holy Spirit, we say Jesus is Lord. Meaning this same Spirit given by God will not curse God on your behalf. That is an impossibility. When you're operating under the authority of the Holy Spirit, by the grace gift that he gives you, it is an impossibility to curse God. No charismata. Your choice, your will... Your mindset, not God's. It's that simple. If you're at this end of the spectrum, it's not God holding it back. It's actually your mindset. The kicker or the focus 
which brings balance to the counterfeit and the absence of the charismata is actually 1 Corinthians 13, which is why my title is It All Hinges on Love. The place where the Holy Spirit really empowers you, many may be shocked to discover that this famous passage on love, which you may have had read at your marriage, is actually part of Paul's answer to the questions on spiritual gifts. Let me read this to you. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I, prof- if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. In verse 13, at the end of this chapter, Paul writes, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the focus point of the gifts. It is the focus point that you should have. It's the virtue of love. And we all understand that love is a person God is love. You might might like to understand this. The first three verses, you heard me say them, the the clanging cymbal and the noisy gong, the beating of a drum. These are not actually church pictures that Paul's using. Paul as a missionary in first century AD understands the religious worldviews around him. Paul's actually using examples from the mystery cults to show how they are using things incorrectly. In the cults, tongues were operating due to sensual desires, a connecting or uniting with their God in a state of euphoria beyond their control. The noisy gong or the clanging cymbal was what was used to seduce them into this euphoric state, leaving them open to the demonic realm. In this state, it is completely devoid of love. Not tongues, but idol worship, paganism. Tongues are not evil, but they can be counterfeit. How we measure that is love. I'll give you an example, a practical example. If you are in a worship setting and are loudly praying in tongues and not considering your neighbour, you, sir, are being arrogant and not loving. This gift is subject to your guidance. Different 
if you were led to bring a word of tongues corporately. But if in your worship you are overtly being loud to annoy the person next to you, you are full of arrogance and not love. But if you, standing next to someone who is quietly praying to God in tongues, as Paul suggested, keeping it to themselves, between themselves and God, and you can see or even slightly overhear them, and you begin to despise what they are doing between themselves and their Father in heaven, then you too, sir, are arrogant and judging their worship of God. And this is not love. One is counterfeit. The other is no gifts. No gifts is a mindset if you let it become one. Love is the measure of the gift. If you are prophesying doom and gloom, as my last example, I don't want to get caught up in this example, but if you are prophesying doom and gloom, then you are not operating in love nor according to Scripture. Paul writes in chapters 14, verse 1, he writes, Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Actually, let me read you the concluding verse of chapter 12. It says in verse 31 of chapter 12, But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And then he writes about love. He concludes, or begins, sorry, chapter 14. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. The spiritual gifts. This means all of them, not one. And we are to seek them out diligently, pursuing them with our entire being. All the while, keeping our focus On Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You can seek the gift. You can seek the hand that gives the gift. But you are misled and you are not pursuing love. If you keep your eyes focused on Jesus, the result will be a free mind, and an empowering of God like you've never encountered before. All gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit are legal in the kingdom of God and are open to all because they are given by the same Spirit who empowers Jesus in his mission. They are grace gifts. Seriously, If we are to throw out any of them, if we are to throw out one of the gifts, we have to throw out all of the gifts. Which means if we don't like these things, we'll go back here. This was the pagan worship. If we throw out tongues because it was used in an anti-Christ, counterfeit manner, then really what we are saying is that we must throw out worship because it was used in an anti-Christ way. 
And then we have to throw out communion because communion was also used by pagans. In fact, it was used in a sacramental way between any blood covenant throughout history. If we throw that out, then sorry, your child is not dedicated to God. You have not been baptised and you are not pursuing immortality and you have never been reborn after Jesus Christ. You throw out one, you have to throw them all out. If you throw out one here, it means that none of these are available or open and you all might as well go home and not be part of a church. The reality is you can buy into the counterfeit or you can buy into the fact that you'll be locked up and miserable because you are not experiencing God's fullness. But when you place your eyes upon Jesus, you will understand what faith really is. The marker is love. The person is Jesus. It would be ludicrous to throw out everything that the church does in their form of elevating God in his worship. Love is the measure, and when you are led by love, the fruit will overflow in your life. The fruits listed in 1 Corinthians 13, patience and kindness, not being arrogant, not boastful, not demanding or rude, not irritable or resentful. You will be led by truth, able to bear one another's shortcomings, teachable, full of hope and enduring to the end. And who doesn't want to endure to the end? Church, my heart in preaching this message to you today was to begin by teaching you the importance of the gifts. But it is impossible to love Jesus in this world today without valuing his most important gift. His most important gift was the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, he poured out his spirit on all flesh. Church, I want to pray for you. Maybe you can sit up in your chairs or stand up and receive today. Maybe you just need to open your hands and say, God, I'm wrong. I'm caught up in a mindset and I don't want it anymore. I believe the Holy Spirit is going to break today something off of your life. And it might, be, it might be the fortification in your mind that spiritual gifts, or even just one gift, the gift of tongues, is wrong. Well, the Holy Spirit wants to break down the ramparts. He wants to break open the barriers and He wants to set you free so that you can honestly and with integrity pursue Jesus with your whole heart. Many of you have not yet Submitted to the waters of baptism. Today, I believe the Holy Spirit's going to set you free and He's going to open up the pathway for you to say yes to Jesus first and foremost. And you're going to die to yourself and submit to the waters of baptism. And we're going to make that possible for you. But it begins today. So if you want to stand with me in your living room, in your kitchen, in your dining room, in your bedroom, get out of bed, whatever you're doing, will you join with me? Holy Spirit wants to 
release you today. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your truth. Your word rightly says that the truth will set you free. Father, we don't pursue the counterfeit. And yet, there are many that I know, Lord, are resistant to you. Holy Spirit, from this moment I ask that you would reach into their living room, touch their heart, release them from the mindset that they have been taught that these things are wrong, that they would understand the truth and that they may be set free. Holy Spirit, by your love and your grace right now, open their hearts. Lord, I even believe that many who have never heard your voice under the words and the sound of my voice right now will hear your spirit for the first time in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will find the freedom in people's lives to be able to make your home there, to be able to come upon them in power, to lead them into the waters of baptism, that they may surrender, Lord, to see the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven. Holy God, you are a righteous God. We ask you to burn in our lives the power of your spirit today. This Pentecost, Lord, make it holy, make it righteous in our lives. Make it a place, Lord, where we remember that this is the day that I trusted the Holy Spirit. That I was filled right now with the Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you that those who have tried to pray in tongues, to speak in other tongues, I thank you that those who have had a wall and a boundary and a barrier in their life, Lord, I pray that that just be removed right now and that the grace of God, the gift of God, would flow naturally. I thank you that your word says that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Therefore, today, Lord, the spirit of the tongue speaker is subject to the tongue speaker. Lord, I pray that rivers of living water flow up, bubble up out of their lives right now. Just release this in the name of Jesus. I thank you for the transformation and mind renewal that is taking place right now. As for the first time, many are hearing your voice today.